the book of Shmuel. And I say the book of Shmuel because actually it's one book. Even though it is typically divided into Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Bet, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel ending with the death of King Saul, the first king of Israel, and 2 Samuel beginning after the death of Saul. But that division actually does not reflect the nature of the book. The book in Jewish tradition is one book. One book with 55 chapters. And this book, the book of Shmuel, has a central topic. The central topic of the book is kingship. And one of the questions, of course, that is raised implicitly in the book is attitude towards kingship. We know in the book of Samuel, in the book of Shmuel, that Shmuel himself is very much opposed to kingship. He's opposed to kingship both in terms of practical matter of the king will abuse the king's power, and he's opposed to kingship because he feels that the king will, by the nature of kingship, supplant God, who is the only true king. That is very clear. Then the book of Shmuel, the book of kingship, Samuel is opposed to kingship. Even though, ironically, Samuel is the person who anoints both kings. He anoints the first king of Israel, Saul, and he anoints David as well. But the bigger question in the book is not so much what does Samuel think, we know what he thinks. The question is what does the book think, or one might say, what does God think? Because presumably God's attitude towards kingship and the book's attitude towards kingship are one and the same. And that's a question we will have to deal with through our study of this great book. Now the book of Samuel, in our canon, in the Jewish canon, traditional canon, is located after the book of Judges. In the Septuagint, in the Targum Shivim actually, the book of Shemuel does not follow the book of Judges, but the book of Shemuel follows the book of Ruth, Megillat Ruth, which clearly was written as a bridge between the book of Judges, Shoftim, and the book of Kingship. Megillat Ruth begins, Vahibi Meshvota Shoftim, it came to pass at the time of the Judges, and the last word in the book of Ruth, in the Megillah, is V'yishai Holidet David. It's the birth of King David. So the book of Ruth, among other things, is about a recognition of the transition between the time of the judges, the Shoftim, and kingship, and David, which is the book of Shmuel. The book of Ruth is a later book. But in our canon, the book of Shmuel follows the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, the last five chapters of Judges, the appendix, one might say, to the book of Shoftim, tells two stories. One revolves around Micha, who sets up a little sanctuary for himself, finds himself a levy, whom he appoints as priest. He has his own house of worship. And then the tribe of Dan, the Danites, who initially located in central Israel, decide they don't like that territory. They want to expand, and they go up north, kidnapping the priests, taking the priests uh, with them, uh, conquering a land that was not initially part of their land at all. So there's a kind of anarchic, chaotic, and violent uh, situation in the land. 
And the text says, in those days there was no king. Ain't Melech. There's no king. That's how these things can happen. And the last story, which precedes the book of Shuel, the concubine of Giva, that's about the abuse of the woman by a mob. The husband who chops her body up into 12 parts and sends it around Israel. And the civil war that ensues between the tribe of Binyamin, between Benjamin and all the tribes. And the last verse of the previous book, of the book of Judges, in those days there was no king. Everyone did as he pleased. Certainly, the last two stories of the previous book suggest that anarchy, chaos, violence will take place if there is not a king. So certainly the previous book leaves us with the impression that kingship is necessary. Whether it's a necessary good or a necessary evil, that's a good question. But it's certainly necessary. And now we move to our book, to the great book of Shmuel, which begins with a story, a heroine, whose name is Hannah. The book begins by telling us the lineage of Hannah's husband, whose name is Elkanah. There was a man by he Ishachad ben Matayim Tzofi Mehar Ephraim, Ushmo El Kanah ben Yerocham ben Elihu ben Tohu ben Tzuf Ephrati. So there was a man of Ramatayim Tzofim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was El Kanah, son of Yerocham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Tzuf, an Ephraimite. So it gives us a genealogy. And this man has two wives, not one wife, but two. And the book of Shmuel doesn't tell us how that came to pass. We know from our study of, of, of Reshit, of Genesis, having two wives is a prescription for trouble. But this man has two wives. One is named Penina, and one is named Chana. Shem Lachat Chana, Veshem Hashedit Penina. So Penina has children, Chana does not. It is possible, since Chana is mentioned first, he married Chana. They couldn't have children together, so he took a second wife. That's possible, but the text never tells us why. What the text does tell us in the third verse is This man would go up from his place from time to time. To bow down and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now we know of Shiloh from the previous book. Shiloh was the central temple in Israel. He would go to Shiloh, which is the central place of service, to bow down and sacrifice. V'shem shenei b'nei Eli chafliu pinchas koanim Rashem, And the priests who govern Shiloh are chafli and pinchas. That's what we're told at the beginning of this book. Now what's curious is that in the first chapter of Samuel, the priest who figures in the story is not Chofni, it's not Pinchas, it's the high priest, their father, whose name is Eli. But the text at the very beginning of the book tells us that the priest who runs Shiloh are Chofni and Pinchas, it wants us to identify Shiloh with Chofni and Pinchas, and Chofni and Pinchas, we are told, in chapter 2, are two scoundrels. They 
cheat God, they cheat the people, they run things by violence and force. So the reader is to identify immediately Shiloh with Chafdi and Pinchas. So this man is going periodically. We know two things about Okana. He has two wives, and he goes periodically, miyamim yamima, to bow down and sacrifice. He sounds like a pious man. On the other hand, the place that he's going to, which is the central place in Israel, is a place of presumed corruption. And actually, the previous story in the book of Judges tells us that after the civil war between Benjamin and the other tribes, and all the tribes swore, took an oath, that their daughters will not be permitted to marry anybody from Benjamin. So the tribe of Benjamin will die out. There aren't that many women left after the war. And the other tribes feel bad about it. But they took an oath. What are they going to do? So the elders have a thought at the end of the previous book. Namely, they instruct the Benjaminites to go to Shiloh at the time of the uh, wine festival. And the women are dancing in the, in the vineyards. And to kidnap the women. Kidnap the women, take them home. And this way you didn't violate the oath in the sense we didn't give them our daughters. But the Benjaminites kidnapped them. And that's what happens. So the solution to the problem, the war which was engendered by the abuse of one woman, the problem that results from that is solved by the abuse of many women. And this takes place at Shiloh, and it takes place at Shiloh in the festival, which is Miyamim Yamima. Chag B'Shiloh Miyamim Yamima. Verse number 19 of the previous chapter. So he's going to a place of corruption, run by corrupt priests, and he does this from time to time. And in the very next story, we are told that he brings sacrifices, and when he brings the sacrifices, we are told, He would give sacrificial portions to her children. But for Chana, he would give which clearly means in the context an additional portion. Perhaps it means portions equal to what he gave Penina, even though Penina has many children and Chana has none. So he demonstrated his favoritism to Chana by giving her more portions than women automatically assume she should be getting. And the net effect of this is that the other woman resents it, and taunts her and mocks her, and causes Chana to cry, so much so that she can't eat. And the book says, in verse number 7, he would do the same thing every year. The net effect of giving her more portions to eat is that she doesn't eat at all. So this is the husband of Chana, Sounds like a well-intentioned man. He loves his wife, wants to favor her. He wants to serve God. He wants to bow down. He wants to sacrifice. But he goes to a place of corruption every year. And he does the same, exhibits the same pattern of behavior towards his wife, whom he loves, with the net effect of hurting his wife. Now the point of this description of Elkanah, and we'll stop at this point with chapter 1, the point of the description of Elkanah is the hero, the main character, is not Okana. The main character is Chana. So Chana is the one 
of whom we speak in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But to understand Chana, the way the book begins, is by contrast, by describing the husband. Pious man, a man who works by the calendar, a man who is, uh, works by rote, one might say, both in his personal life and his religious life. This is how the book begins. This is the genealogy of Elkanah. And now the text will move to Chana. And we will move to Chana as described in chapter 2.